This is all for me now. We have no Rob today. I have to. I have to edit this. No, oh, no, Lawrence. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The heck. I don't know. We're on our own. He's left us dry. Oh well, it seems to be getting busier in New York, so it makes sense. He's working, hopefully. Yeah. Hey, everybody, this is Lawrence Lewis, and this is Sister Christian. Today is Thursday, July twenty third, twenty twenty. This is the producers' happy hour. It's a weekly podcast with two producers just trying to figure it out. We're on opposite coasts. Christian's in New York City. I'm in Los Angeles. And we're exploring what it means to be a good producer as we come out of this global shutdown of our industry and figure out how to get the film industry back to work safely while still navigating this pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) You're going to tell us about it, I know. We find ourselves being asked to take on greater responsibilities from a variety of guidelines created by multiple sources. Now more than ever, it's important for us to keep sharing our experiences, our ideas, and to share how we made it happen, what we did right and what we did wrong so that we can keep, you know, working. So we can keep working and get our industry back on its feet. That's the only way we're going to get through it is collaborating and sharing all of this. So email us your stories. Better yet, record a one to two minute voice memo and send it to us at producershappyhour at gmail.com. I just updated the instructions on the website, producershappyhour.com. And please share this show with friends, colleagues, family members, neighbors, and, you know, those agency folks who um, don't quite know what it's going to take to get us back to work yet. We want these stories to be heard. They're important. Christian, two things before we get started. Today is July 23rd. Today would have been my dad's 91st birthday. Wow. If he was still with us, which is which he's not. But I still think about it every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so happy birthday, Dad. Happy wherever birthday. Wherever you are. Yes. He, wouldn't be, he would not be happy with the country right now. I can tell you that. He'd be embarrassed. So he's in a better place. Yes. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is I'm so happy you're here. You almost weren't going to be here. It was just going to be little old me talking into the void. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> but here I am. I mean, I was nervous, too. I was nervous for you. Don't worry. Oh, I wasn't nervous at all. I, I was, was nervous for the audience who had to listen to me for. <laughs> you could have done voices. That's your specialty. I totally could have. Yes, I could have made it through. But you're here. I'm here. And we are chatting today with a, another producer who's figured it out. Paul Papanek. Uh, he recently shot a full scale. Not recently, actually, back in May. So this could have been one of the first full scale shoots. It was for Kia. He did it back in May, and this was before the COVID safety compliance officers, before all these uh, white papers were (laughs) created. So he was kind of on his own, paving his own way. And uh, he's going to tell us how he did it and how he kept everyone safe. Yeah, it's fascinating because I I know that he he absolutely weaves a story very well. It's very interesting, and he's pleasant to listen to to boot. It's (laughs) very nice. He's he's very smart. He's a very talented producer. (laughs) He is. Um, and, uh, I'm surprised I haven't met him before because, uh, he he lives out here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the interview, I do want to say though, we referred to a couple things. We referred to where spot reopening Hollywood and BLM. And I think we should define these because (laughs) for the, might be people who don't know, and we don't want to, we don't want to leave you guys out where spot in reopening Hollywood. Those are Facebook groups, uh, for film production community, mostly advertising commercial film. Yes. So uh, you can go join those if you want to be in those conversations. And then when we refer to BLM in this episode, 
We're talking, obviously, about the Bureau of Land Management, not Black Lives Matter. Yes, because the first few times you're like, wait a second. If wait you've a never, second. never done a car commercial in Utah, then yeah. you'll know. <laughs> All right, Christian, you just got through a shoot, which is why you mm-hmm. almost weren't going to be here with us today. You were shooting uh, this week, yesterday, and the day before. And yes. were you shooting Monday as well? Or was it two-day shoots? Well, so, um, you know, I was putting um, there are research and months of discussions to practice. Um, we, uh-huh. I just completed the first or what was said to be the largest job in New York City to date wow. since the shutdown. And uh, largest in terms of crew? Lar- in terms of crew and people together in one space. Right. How, what was your crew count? It was just about 42. That included mm-hmm. agency and client who attended. And talent. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, uh, through a very strict and thoughtful schedule and also spacing out art build and separate pre-like day and then to, um, you know, days that we filmed, making sure that talent didn't cross each other's paths. There was a lot to think about. Um, we hired a COVID compliance officer. There's a lot that happened, but I just, but. You know, I can get into that. I I plan on doing a case study and I'm happy to advise anybody because I think that this is trying to set some standards so that moving forward, we all know what works, what doesn't work, and that any mistakes or learnings that I've made, somebody else doesn't have to experience firsthand. They've got a bit of a guideline of reality. That's exactly what we're talking about. This Mm -hmm. is what Paul did. He did a case study so he could share it with the WareSpot community. And that's what we're talking about. It's about sharing information. So we all have something to go on. Right? Yeah. And I have to say that. Um, so that'll all come with time. I want to, you know, say it was much harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. I've been doing this for a very long time. And as most anybody who knows me and most of you who don't who have been listening, I think very highly of myself and my capabilities. I think I'm a good producer. And I can tell you that this 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 is hard yeah it is and you find yourself no matter what you do or the precautions you have you have not had enough prep time (laughs) because there's little things that you're finding out and hopefully this is just in the beginning as we get started back and it'll be widely known soon yeah but then you also find yourself you know working longer hours making sure if you are having people tested figuring out the right way to receive the information even or we have rapid tests but if the talent doesn't live near i mean there's so many different variables in this right now that you wind up working a a lot harder and you do need more prep time for sure Mm -hmm. yeah I was just talking to (laughs) to say it's emotionally and physically and mentally exhausting yes Yes. uh, definitely Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm sensing your exhaustion today (laughs) you can probably see it I may have yawned during the opening sorry (laughs) (laughs) I think you did it's okay. I covered for you. <laughs> yeah. My friend, a friend of the podcast as well, said the same thing. They've had to do a lot of extra leg work to mm-hmm. put together these COVID compliance scenarios to pitch <laughs> jobs to, to agencies. Wow. And it's so I think much that that's, extra work. Yes. It's so much extra work. Yes. It's maddening. I've gotten several calls at this point because it seems that New York is doing it right. We're in phase four right now. So everybody's coming to New York. Yeah. Because what you can do up to fifty, right? Is that what I heard? You can do for permitting purposes. They're not they're not giving permits out for over fifty people, mm-hmm. which means mm-hmm. no television and no you know movie. But there's always the on. Um, I would not permit for a stage. 
Right. And my stage capacity was 150 people and the capacity uh, is, um, and the, re- the guidelines right now is 50% of building capacity. Oh, so okay. So I could so have had could have 75, 75 people, right. which I would have just, pff, that would have been it for me <laughs> because box lunching, like bathrooms, like, um, you know, different, uh, trying to make a circular flow so people don't go out the indoor and in the outdoor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, I have no like idea. A ras- like a raspberry beret song. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> I, I'm going to let you decompress from the job. Yes. Start grilling you. Yes, please. But uh, maybe on another episode. We I can, think uh, I'll be, have my notes in order by next week, but I'm happy okay. to, again, please reach out to me directly. Anybody who has any questions of, about the findings, because I do think that it's very important to, I, I think I've boiled it down to a 45 minute speech yeah. at this Good. point because okay. I, <laughs> so yeah, I'm happy to pass it along to anybody who's interested. Well, there you go. That's, there's there's a concept for your uh, uh, after hours with Sister Christian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just you whispering Just about Just... box lunches, <laughs> ASMR style. Attended bathrooms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My dream came true. And, and you know, uh, I think to our last week's guest, Greg Jones, who his reason for coming on was really to show that bigger shoots, full-scale shoots can be done. They can be done safely. They are a tremendous amount of work. It's really important to show and share how the big shoots can be done safely because the 10-person crews, they're, they're, they're great. And it's a great filler yeah, for, for what now, it is. Mm-hmm. for what it is. But it's just not going to get the industry back to no. work like the way we need it. And since you've br- brought him up. Um, yeah. Hello, Jonesy. That was from Susan Linz. Music video nicknames, right? I guess back in the day. Back in the day, yes. I just have one quick news thing that I want to cover. Okay, yes, because if I remember right, we spoke to um, Paul for a long time. But it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Um, But I read this article in The Hollywood Reporter about a pair of IOTC members who are filing a class action lawsuit against the motion picture health plan. because. Same with PHBP. They're depositing hours into people's banked hours that that allow them to qualify for health care. Right. Okay. But apparently they're not really doing it all the same. Uh, Here's what the article says. hmm. Generally, to qualify for coverage, members must work 400 hours Mm -hmm. or 600 hours for newly qualifying participants Mm. in a six month period. And that's your qualification period. According to the complaint, the defendants voted to extend up to 300 hours for April and May. So they're just giving them 300 hours into their bank of hours, right? Mm -hmm. However, that basically excluded people that were on COBRA or on disability. Or um, it excluded participants working towards their initial eligibility. So people who had just joined or like... Yes. Oh, that's so shitty. So everyone just got 300 hours, no matter their current situation. So they just gave 300 hours, whether you were brand new or, you know, had been in it for a while and only needed the 400 hours. So that was kind of an unfair advantage to the regular people. Mm -hmm. Now, members with a qualifying period that ended March 21st, people who had a, a qualifying period ended March 21st were given a credit of 25 hours if they proved it, if it were not for COVID, that they would have met the requirements. Hmm. How can you do that? I don't really know. I'm well, maybe not really if they were sure. on a show. Okay. Maybe yeah. if, they, if they had a booking or an email that said you're booked and then canceled 
or something. I don't know. I, I shouldn't even feel suspected, but no, yeah, exactly. It, I mean, my, the first thing is, is like, how can you prove that? What what the article goes on to say is in doing so, defendants applied a more onerous standard to participants whose qualifying period ended March 25th. So they right. had a tougher time to prove that they should be getting, you know, the health care that they deserve. The plaintiffs also alleged in the filing that the board's plan management was unfair in terms of premium waivers for dependents and COBRA coverage. So all these actions forced the members to either pay for COBRA or other insurance coverage or go without insurance during a during a, a viral pandemic. That, I mean, I shame on you. I, have to, I mean, like, yeah. way to like uh, cook the math there or not spend any time actually <laughs> right. We're thinking through what all exactly. your different members need and how different yeah. scenarios, you know, it's again, this ongoing question of, of um, equity. That's very interesting because I, I feel that, um, you know, dues are paid in. I mean, the, the, the reason why you join a union is so that you have solidarity and um, they're fighting for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like this is um, either, sla- you know, haphazardly put together and you know across the board the same or you know worse there was just some negligence and you know like caring yeah or disregard you know what i mean yeah exactly Uh, yeah i'd love to see how they picked up those numbers yeah and i want to track this story so hopefully we'll get some updates for you later on but we should move on and get to our great interview with paul yes but first go to our website check out the page called do the work it's full of anti-racism resources. Obviously, you know, I just feel like we've tied this into our show mm-hmm. because it's tied into the pandemic yes. and it's tied into our industry. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want I always want to bring this up. That page is going to be on our website for everyone as long as we have the show. A lot of resources on there for you to learn about racism and how to be anti-racist and also some actionable items, some petitions for you to sign some places for you to donate. I normally pull a featured petition. I didn't have time this week, but there's still a featured petition from last week that's up there. And if you're watching the news, I think you know what's happening out there and who needs support. So head to that page and see what you can do. And then um, we also still have our take action page up, which will have, you know, uh, feed the freelancers. Um, Again, New York is just starting to get back to work. People are still out there needing everything. And as the numbers go up, um, you know, it means less work, which means, you know, now we're on the four months of not no steady income and the, you know, government $600 supplement is about, is it this week. We got one more week yeah. left of that. And then I mean, I have friends that literally don't know what they're going to do after next week. And I know that, um, they're working on it. So call your congressman, call your senator, um, send the emails. It's important. It's <laughs> Otherwise, so important. Um, this is going to last a lot longer. Yeah, and we'll never get back to work. Post office, elections oh are coming. I think we're almost 100 days out or less. So, yes. yeah. Save, save the post office. Save the post there's office. A, there's, a lot, there's a lot of work out there, guys. It's not just a pandemic. It's, yeah. it's, there's a lot. It just takes a little bit of time during the day. So, yes, head to our page, take action on our website, producershappyhour.com. There we go. All right. Now I'm excited. Let's get on with our interview, Lawrence. 
Let's. Paul Papanek has freelanced as a TV commercial executive producer, line producer, and first AD for over 30 years, and was a senior advertising production consultant in one of the largest consultancies around. As an executive producer and a line producer, he currently manages budgets ranging from less than 100000 to over $4 million, and has produced all over the world for some of the best directors in the business. As a consultant, he has worked with Fiat Chrysler, Verizon, Microsoft, HP, Gatorade, Corona Beer, Frito-Lay. Hell, everybody, so it many. seems like. <laughs> yeah. And when he, when he did work with these uh, corporations, um, he would work with multiple ad agency creatives, account directors, and production teams on a daily basis. Over three decades of production experience coupled with consulting gives him a very unique skill set. Uh, I, I will say, uh, when we did this interview, Christian, you were on stage, so the audio's not that great. But Oh, uh, uh, oh if I remember correctly, it was also about 100 degrees in the room. It was 100 <laughs> degrees in your room. We were making you sweat it out. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, so apologies for that, but let's take a listen. Thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. I would first like to start off by asking, how are you? How's your family? Are you in LA? Am I right on that? Yes, we're in sunny LA and we are fine. Thank you for asking. And I would ask the same thing of both of you. Um, yeah, we're, we're okay. Where, what part of LA, if I make it, if you would like to tell us? The West Adams area, if you're oh. familiar with LA. Historic West Adams. Oh, Absolutely. Nice. <laughs> and there was a shoot right around the corner from our house the other day. Really? Oh. Did you go over there? See, did you get breakfast? I, I didn't, but I'm. Uh, we have a very <laughs> active homeowners association, and I'm the uh, film liaison. So, uh, oh, there you go. Wow. So I was uh, very involved in what they were doing leading up to the shoot, but I sure didn't see a need to go over there. So, if anybody wants to shoot in the West Adams area, they need to uh, check in with you. No, just in our little four block. Oh, okay. In Got our it. little block. Well, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. We've given a little background about you personally, but we'd like to hear a little bit more about what you were doing uh, during the initial lockdowns when things started shutting down. Did you have a job? Did you lose a bunch of jobs? What, what were you doing to stay active? What was that initial period like for you? The job that I actually produced in May was supposed to have mm -hmm. shot in March. Okay. And we scouted in Utah in, I think, late February, early March. We prepped the entire job, which was going to be a big night shoot with 60 or 70 crew members and BB lights and mm -hmm. a helicopter with a searchlight that was a character. <laughs> and just days before we were supposed to go to Utah to shoot, we were canceled. So the first week or so of the mm -hmm. lockdown, we wrapped that cancellation. Mm -hmm. and then. You know, we just huddled at home trying to figure out what was going to happen next. And, yeah. you know, as you guys know, it was so new and it caught everybody so off guard that, you know, we watched a lot of Netflix and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and pondered our future. Yeah. Once we started realizing what this all meant, we're like, okay, that we're in this for the long haul. And, uh, yeah, yeah. it's almost mm -hmm. August and here we are. Well, set up this job for us. So I'm, I'm fascinated. Right. So this is what, you know, all of our months of research and interviews and talking to people are doing, like how do we put it into practice? What kind of job was it? Where was it? Everything you can tell us. Okay. It was for Kia. It was a right. new product launch for them. Mm -hmm. What happened was the job was canceled in March. Then we all sat around wondering what was going to happen next. 
problem for Kia was that they still had this launch scheduled, but had no assets with which to launch. Right. It. Mm -hmm. So in May, they came back and said, things are starting to loosen up. Do you think that you guys can mount the shoot? And I huddled with the production company mm -hmm. and we all decided we can't mount that shoot uh -huh. because we just didn't see a way to keep everybody safe. Yeah. We didn't see a way to be able to produce that job with a crew of that size mm -hmm. and do it responsibly. And it's, you know, it was a distant location shoot. We shot in Moab. Right. We had already scouted. We had the locations. We had already cast out of Salt Lake. So the job was really ready to go. And it was a client direct job from the production company. It was right. their concept dealing directly with the CMO and the marketing team at Kia. So we huddled with them hmm. and figured out that we could make the shoot. We could keep the same creative, but make it a day shoot. Drastically reduce the size of the crew, mm -hmm. but do away with certain portions of it, like the helicopter and a couple of little story points. Mm -hmm. But basically keep the creative almost the same. And everybody got on board with that. So we rebid the job from the ground up. Mm -hmm. There was no way to really apply what we had previously bid, the amount that had previously been awarded to what we were about to do. Mm -hmm. And the big unknown for us was, what are we going to do about COVID? Because to our knowledge, we were the, we were the first shoot since the lockdown yeah, of any was, scale. This was in May. This was in May. Right. And yeah, I mean, sure, there were a bunch of um, Zoom shoots. Oh, yeah. That mm. still doesn't uh, count. And yeah. a lot of stock footage stuff. <laughs> it doesn't count. <laughs> I say that it doesn't count, but I worked my ass off on a remote shoot. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's just like getting people together is what the, you know, the safety concerns happen. Exactly. Yeah. And, and since nobody had come before us, we really didn't know. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't have anybody to, to call to ask. You were setting advice. standards. Which I think is important. You were setting standards. I don't know that we were setting. I don't know that we were setting a stand. We were setting a standard for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was common sense. A lot of it was paying attention mm -hmm. to the CDC and OSHA guidelines. And a mm -hmm. lot of it also like we was, should be doing <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and a lot of it was also um, being very active on Where Spot and reopening Hollywood. Those two pages mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on Facebook. And really listening to what people were saying and what their concerns were. Yeah. So we put a line in the AICP budget that was just COVID mitigation. Mm -hmm. And we started researching what those costs would be. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not hard to figure out how much PPE you're going to need. Yeah. We estimated the, how much we would need for the number of crew we thought we were going to have, thinking that everybody would want a new mask four times a day. Yeah. We knew that people probably were not going to use gloves, but we ordered a ton of them anyway. Mm -hmm. Somebody had mentioned, I, I'd love to be able to take a hundred percent credit for this one, but somebody had mentioned on where spot or reopening Hollywood, somebody needs to invent a sanitation company. Yes. So I just Googled sanitation companies in Salt Lake city. Mm -hmm. And I found a company whose day-to-day -day operation was disinfecting or sanitizing hospital rooms 
right. hospital equipment, homes with detectable amounts mm-hmm. of, uh, of meth. And I called them. They knew nothing about the film business. Mm. And I said, I have this shoot. It's a three-day shoot in Moab. Here's the, the level of safety I need to provide for our crew. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. And he just jumped on board nice. immediately. That's great. And, and he's a guy that uses um, aerosolized hydrogen peroxide right. through uh, some mm-hmm. very specialized atomizers. Right. Yep. And he's got different setups for different size rooms. So we arrived at a plan that would uh, that consisted of disinfecting all the working trucks, all the working vehicles, all the equipment. Then I put him on the phone with the camera department, the camera rental house, the guys from Performance Filmworks who supplied our camera car, mm-hmm. just to make sure that what he was planning to use worked with how they needed to protect their sensitive electronic gear. gear, yeah. And if there were any issues, then we would figure out another way. So in addition, our guy in Salt Lake also prepped kits for each department. So each department had their own cleaning kit with Uh different solutions and rags and all sorts of stuff. That's what we landed on after researching. And we compiled all of these costs into the COVID mitigation line. Mm -hmm. And then we added, I think, 50% to that. Because who knew? Who knew? Because what you don't know is what you don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Then a friend of mine told me that on a a shoot years ago, they found a guy who had a trailer that had a bunch of sinks in it. Mm -hmm. So we found that person in seattle oh wow (laughs) oh my goodness literally two days before the shoot and here's why we added 50 percent to the covid line because i hadn't counted on that right after the job was awarded he showed up with a 16-foot trailer and it had 12 sinks in it and carried 300 gallons of water and he lived at base camp so that worked out great but that really tapped out our covid line well the other things that tapped out our COVID line was how to move the crew around from area to area. Right. Because this is, so this is, you're doing a car shoot, right? And so what does that entail? A bunch of vans, a bunch of follow vans moving here and there, base Mm -hmm. camp, and then uh, driving around and all that kind of typical stuff, right? Exactly. But, But we were lucky in that we had already planned to shoot two days in one location. So we could base camp and go out from that location. And it was all on private property. Then we shot a day on a highway and BLM land. So we hired in in Moab, the tour companies had these open air Humvees with Mm -hmm. with tiered seating in the back. And then we also hired a bunch of um, razors, you know, the Polaris Mm -hmm. little off-road vehicles. And each one was dedicated to a department. We had this fantasy of going out with 15 people and we ended up with 28. We always have the fantasy of going out with just 15 yeah. people, right? I'm yeah. still waiting for that job to land in my lap one day. But yeah, yeah. no, it's always a bit more than, exactly. than you want, right? Oh, I'm on that right now and we're at 42. So. <laughs> Did we have exactly. car prep guys? Like and car prep. Yeah, yeah. And we had, uh, we had police every day. Were they counted in your 28? They were not. So right. 28 yeah. working crew, Right. two police every day. Mm-hmm. 
we had a cast of a mom and a son. And they were real, they were connected. We recast real people, non-union hmm. in Moab. They were fantastic. Well, but um, may I ask um, logistically too, like what were the numbers like in Utah? Because I feel like Utah did not, you know, they're okay. Well, we shot going into the Memorial Day weekend. So everybody had been long, basically locked down up until that point. Exactly. exactly. Utah had officially reopened phase one-ish the prior Friday, which is when we when we arrived. So Utah's numbers were not that bad. And we interfaced at all times with all the various film authorities and BLM and everybody knew what we were doing the yeah. entire time. And everybody was hyper aware of what our safety protocols were. Which is really amazing because doing this in May, uh, you know, you're on the forefront. Uh, you were really kind of figuring it out without many examples before you to draw from. So hats off to you. That looks like you did an amazing job. And you put together this beautiful case study deck and put all your learnings in there and shared it with the Wear Spot community, which is very generous. Well, you know, I couldn't. We we actually thought about it. The production company and I, and I thought about that from the very beginning. Mm. You know, our goal was at the end of the shoot to do a case study. That's great. Because we were the first and it just didn't make any sense for us to not share it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. If there was any hope that by doing that, we could help people get back to work or see or see a light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. You know, that was our goal. That's great. And I mean, you know, sharing information, that's why Christian and I started this podcast in the first place. And this was all before COVID hit. And then it became about sharing information about what's happening with the industry during this crazy time. And now it's turning to sharing how we can go back to work safely because we're, this thing is not going to go away anytime soon. We're going to have to figure out how to get our industry back on its feet and how to be able to do it safely. So thank you for sharing all this information with us. Oh, absolutely. Did you consult any health officials? Did you speak to your insurance company? Was there any of those conversations about really how to make sure from a liability standpoint, you had the right people on board to help guide you through this and, and be safe? Well, sure. Uh, you know, the insurance company was really not that helpful. Yeah. Right. Go, go figure. And they're still not, just so you know. They're <laughs> well, still not. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to That's not gonna change. Everybody's policies are renewing with infectious, mm-hmm. disease, contagious disease exclusions. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they'll still offer production insurance. Yeah. But I think the question as to who will cover a cost, a, a delay or postponement or cancellation cost due to somebody becoming ill still has not been Mm -hmm. determined. So my advice to production companies is be very clear about this and write it into your production contract with either the agency or the client Mm -hmm. because it needs to be spelled out ahead of time. Uh, And good faith is not... uh, It's not. No, No. there's no good faith. It's got to be on paper. um, but that's okay, um, as long as everybody's up front about it. You can't. There's no handshake. You're not supposed to shake hands anymore. So <laughs> no handshake. <laughs> no, yeah, elbow bump deal. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, <laughs> what, what about testing, Paul? Did you have any access to testing? Was that even on your radar? It wasn't on our radar for a variety of reasons. We wouldn't have had time to test. 
Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Chris and I have been talking about this on several episodes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of HIPAA compliance involved in this. And, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, being no the kidding. arbiters of health tests and collecting health information on our crew, it's not really our purview, right? Right. And and who keeps who's and in control who keeps of that, it, that, yeah. inf- that data? Um, I've found out exactly what New York requires. And apparently people can tell me if they've tested no, but they can't tell me if they've tested yes. Interesting. And they need to have a record of it in case something happens, then that gets forwarded to the, um, there's a lot of on your honor system. Yeah. Because the laws haven't caught up with what the times are. Yeah. So we, we didn't test. We sent Mm -hmm. out a health questionnaire that everybody had to respond Mm -hmm. to and sign. And did you take temperatures? We did the temperature Mm -hmm. thing. Well, can we talk about travel too? Like were all these people from LA or were they from, is it local crew? No, great question. We brought a certain amount of crew from LA. So it was myself, production Mm -hmm. manager, our drone crew was in-house. They came out and the director, who was the director of cameraman, and my first AD came out. But everybody else we got out of Moab. So we bid two travel days each way for everybody coming from Mm -hmm. California. We researched the halfway point. And we researched the hotel that everybody was going to stay in. And that was the dictate. For the crew coming from Salt Lake, that's a three and a half hour drive that these, yep. mm-hmm. that this, you know, these crew members make all the time. Mm-hmm. And we went with the Hilton for the entire crew because they, had, they were the first hotel to really institute a sanitation protocol. Mm-hmm. And they did it in conjunction with Lysol. And the city of Moab had an ordinance that hotels couldn't let out more than 50% of their rooms. Right. Uh, right. So yeah. we basically took over almost the whole hotel. Oh, wow. wow. Amazing. And it was great. For a week, it sounds like. For a right? week. Yeah. Well, how, how far, like, so how many filming days did you have? Three days. When this came back around and it was daylight and we didn't have the helicopter anymore, we broached the subject of shooting on BLM land. And well, so um, in filming car commercials in Utah before, I know too that they have like month in advance year. I mean, like yep. there's other jobs going on. Exactly. It's, it's kind of a nightmare if you don't know. So I'm sure they were, their schedules were clear for you. <laughs> well, you know, so we had two things going for us. Right. A, there was a bunch of BLM people who had nothing else to do. B, again, our location manager... Crystal Bowden for everybody who will be shooting in in, in Moab uh, in Utah <laughs> in Utah in the Moab area. Yes. There's absolutely nobody better. She's incredible. She's on a first name basis with the BLM permit people, all the highway people, and she was able to turn our permit around in two days, three days. Amazing! Wow. And it was fantastic. That's unheard of, Paul. Yeah, give us her yeah, name was- one more time. Crystal Bowden, B O W D E N. Great. Uh, Moab Film Services okay. is the name of her company. Definitely one of the most beautiful areas. And if you ever do a Land Rover or any Jeep or any of those guys, they're always out there. So oh, it's a phenomenal. <laughs> and it's it's just a phenomenal landscape. I didn't mind the drive at all from L.A. It is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Once, you, once you get past Las Vegas, the drive is mm-hmm. stunning. I'll tell you the one issue that we did have with the Bureau mm-hmm. of Land Management was with Utah's safety guidelines. And the non-business side said no social gatherings 
of more than 10 people. And the business side addressed almost every business other than the film business. Mm -hmm. So the BLM said, well, you know, you can't have more than 10 people. You're a social gathering. So we got on the phone with the film commissioner and we decided to look over in the business section for whatever business could be interpreted as being close enough to what we did. And it was a construction a construction business, which did not limit the number of people who could be on gathering together. Right. You know, I'd like to make a point right now to say that um, there's a lot of states out there that have not addressed filming. And it's interesting that construction worked for you because it seems like the majority of the states have addressed construction like right away. Just because a state says that they're open doesn't mean you can shoot anywhere. Yeah. Right. Because the state will have their set of guidelines. The city or town or county or county yep. could have a conflicting set of guidelines. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the permitting authority could have their own guidelines. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's real easy to say, oh, yeah, Utah's open. Let's go shoot there. Yeah, exactly. Chris, Chris and I were just having this conversation last week, uh, you know, with California maybe taking a step back in our reopening. There was concern yeah. about what can be filmed. And I called Film LA. LA County is open for filming. Santa Monica, not. Fullerton, not. Newport Beach, not. City of LA, yes. But you can't film in any uh, municipal buildings in the city of LA, like City Hall or anything else. So, yeah, right. you really got to check just because the state's open. There might, there's, you know, each county there's has its own. There's limitations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. As you drill down into the cities and counties. Exactly. And you really need to know who you're talking to. Be the proper producer. You know you need to be and uh, do your research. Right. Don't just, don't just listen to, exactly. you know, a, a, a location scout that you have never worked with. Um, exactly. I want to I ask you, um, sure. uh, Paul, because I really, again, I'm not floating your boat, but I really commend you for being one of the first to go out there without a lot of guidelines, figuring this all out on your own. It really exemplifies the ingenuity and, and hard work a good producer like you brings to the table yeah. when, when there's a challenge. What did you not think about? What surprised you? What did you miss? Really good, great question. For instance, but you know, craft service. Yes. So one of the things leading up to this, everybody was talking about was, okay, that's the end of craft, you know, of yeah, craft yeah, service. Yeah. Everything's going to be prepackaged. You know, of course, we went along with that. But what we did was we put our craft service out on a table, everything prepackaged. Then yeah. it occurred to us, well, well, mm -hmm. wait a second. Any number of people are picking up oh, the yeah. same package. <laughs> Multiply that yeah. by how many crew members there are and how many trips to that table they're making throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So little things like that, that have could have a, a big, a big meaningful effect yeah. on people's health. That was like a duh moment. Right. Yeah. The, um, the medic that we hired a medic, we had mm -hmm. multiple discussions with the person who ran that organization. But when the medic came out, we realized this was all so new that really what we should have done was mm -hmm. conferred with a medical professional, a doctor, an MD, to map out our medical protocol yeah. that we would then dictate to the set medic rather than the set medic just coming with a thermometer, right? Everybody oh, was did. fine. That's we checked in with okay. everybody 14 days after we wrapped. We did. And... Everybody was fine. Well, we were concerned. So next, well, mm -hmm. listen, in between then and now, we now have COVID coordinators. Yeah. 
who were supposed to coordinate all this. But I have to tell you that, mm -hmm. and this is not knocking anybody who's taken the three hour course, but <laughs> um, I'm a little suspect. I think a producer would be poorly serving their crew, production company, and client to advocate right. responsibility right. Their first mm -hmm. job to somebody to be who's been a COVID yeah. coordinator for a month. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, what I'm finding by having an in-person, exactly. on-set right. shoot, that I need somebody who is of the same, like, producer or PM type mind who has done the 24-hour-plus work so that I don't have to be 100% versed in everything. Even though that I am, they pick up the one or two things that I say and have a counter view on, then it's not all, it is my responsibility in the end, but having that person who is right. a separate entity that I'm paying to also, you know, the additional workload that a producer takes on, at least is being shared by a like mind who has the same like COVID research. And that's what I'm craving. Mm -hmm. I totally, I totally agree. The other thing that production companies, I think, have to really internalize exactly. is there are no shortcuts to keeping everybody on the crew safe. And if the client or agency right. or production consultant Run. won't approve your Just COVID line, stand your ground. You have to not do that job. Yeah. yeah. It's such a hard thing to say when most mm -hmm. companies haven't had a job since late February. Yeah. But, yeah. But the idea that you are exposing your crew, yourself, the client, the mm -hmm. agency, everybody to, to many bad things. A happening lot of people are rushing levels. to get back to work. Yes. So we're trying to. It, guide it just them makes right no sense. It right. It's a big one. The other thing is agencies have to, on behalf of their clients, come up with concepts <laughs> that can actually be produced. You know, it, it is, it's expectation management, yes. but it's, but it's, it's like coming from the opposite direction because as producers, we're used to being able to solve everybody's problems. Uh-huh. Exactly. And now there are limits to what we can figure out. Yeah. But the genesis of the of, of the challenge is the client greenlighting a concept that the agency presented to them mm -hmm. that may actually not be able to be produced. Exactly. Yes. And we were talking with an agency producer saying that the 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 cooperation between production much companies, earlier. directors, mm -hmm. uh, and agencies has to start much earlier, so they don't go down that road of selling something to the client that then they find out from the director or whoever it can't be done. So yeah, exactly to your point, uh, that that kind of collaboration is, is more important than ever now. <laughs> right. Paul, I mean, we could talk for another hour with you, but I I, I, mm -hmm. I kind of want to, uh, as we wrap this up, I want to ask you about where do we go from here? Like, what do you see for the future? Is this a sustainable way of operating for us? He's so loaded. Lauren's you likes know, the it's loaded a, it's question. A, it's such a loaded question, Lauren. <laughs> um, I do. No, it's, a, and it's a, I mean, it's certainly an interesting one to wrap up with. And the bottom line is, I don't know. Advertisers need to advertise. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mm -hmm. think advertisers are probably struggling with messaging right mm -hmm. now because, you know, who, who's going to buy it? Who, who's after who, not working for yeah. four months, who's who. going to buy a new washer and dryer or a car? I would hope that 
all the efforts that people are making are going to show advertisers that it's safe to get back to work, safer to get back to work. I think for production mm -hmm. companies, there's still an enormous risk involved. It'll be a long time, unfortunately, I think, before we see production levels come back to any sort of reasonable level. I mean, it makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, I kind of hate to reality. say that. I hate to hear myself say those words. It's it's our reality, though. Yeah. But those of, of us who are lucky enough to have yes. a gig every so often are incredibly fortunate. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the answer is for everybody else who yes. is not working. You know, it, it breaks, it breaks, it my, breaks heart my heart. And it, yeah. And, and, and it's not mm -hmm. only us and the immediate crew, it's the people who mm -hmm. supply the crew. It's the yeah. people who sell the food to the caterers. Absolutely. The whole it's the dry system. cleaners who, who clean the wardrobe. It's thinking about it as a, as a bigger picture. It really makes you yeah. become aware of how deeply rooted this is. In our community. Paul, thank you so much for this chat. Well, this was great. A lot of insight. Well, thank you guys for thinking of me. And our music was composed by Kyle Artwork Petit. and logo design by Christopher Daniels. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We are back Wash next your hands. Week. Don't touch uh, your face. Until then, stay safe. Clean your disgusting phone. And stay active. And do your part and wear a mask every single time you leave the house. Not yes. down around your chin, not up above your nose, not on your head. <laughs> wear it properly. It helps. <laughs> Lauren, Send us your voice recordings or your emails you to producershappyhour at gmail.com. <laughs> Oh my God, they do. Immediately. Two websites, lawrencetlewis.com or for voiceover work, which is keeping I me afloat right now, voiceoflawrence.com. <laughs> um, people you, can Christian? reach me at sisterchristianproduces.com. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye.